0: You know, I remember when I was a pastor in my mid-twenties, a couple years ago. (laughs) And uh, I had a wedding coming up on Saturday afternoon. Well, I got a phone call Friday afternoon from the couple who were getting married saying, oh, no, we forgot to get a wedding license, a marriage license. And now it's too late, we can't get one. Can you still do a wedding? I said, I'll I'll get back to you. (laughs) You know, they don't teach you this stuff in seminary, right? So I, I sought some legal counsel and, and got that, and it, fortunately it kind of coincided with what I felt that I had to do. So I called him back. I said, I can, I can lead a ceremony, uh, but we can't call it a wedding. We'll call it a service of prenuptial commitment. Um, Saturday afternoon, the church was filled. The bride was in her Gown, the groom was in his tux, the, the, the vows were tweaked a little bit, and at the end, I did not announce them husband and wife. You know, since then, I've been asked a few times if I would conduct a religious wedding, what they call a spiritual wedding. And by that, they mean that they want me to announce that they are husband and wife in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the church, but without making it legally binding. They don't want a marriage license. And invariably, the reason that they don't want to be legally married has to do with what? Money. Money. Marrying means that they would lose a source of income. For example, alimony from a previous marriage or disability payments from the government. In every case, I have declined to perform those ceremonies because the scriptures teach that marriage is a covenant of both law and love. And it isn't marriage without both. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? In English language, there is no adequate synonym for that word. The word contract gets at the legal side of a covenant, but it doesn't include the loyalty and the love of a covenant. Okay, so let's say that you and I have a contract, and I promise to give you $20 a week, and in return you promise to give me a box of produce from your garden every week. Good deal, right? But if you don't live up to your side of the, of the contract, I'm out of there. I'm not, gonna, I'm not paying you $20 a week for an empty box. But let's say you're my friend. We have this bond. I'm not in this as a consumer. I'm investing in you as a person. So we make a covenant with each other. And in this covenant, I, I obligate myself to pay $20 a week, and you obligate yourself to provide me with a box of garden produce every week. But if this is a covenant, then we are obligated to each other. We are committed to each other way beyond the deal. So if I lose my job, and I don't have 20 bucks to give, I can still count on you to give me that weekly box of produce. And if you're in a major gardening accident, what would that be? Who knows, right? And you can no longer work. I'm still going to give you that $20 every week. And I'm going to come over and work in your garden for you while you are laid up. Why? Because it's a covenant. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. Probably the closest that a lot of us will experience to a true covenant uh, relationship is in parenting. I mean, if you're a parent, you have a, a, a legal responsibility, legal authority with your child, you are, you are the, the guardian of that child, but your relationship goes way beyond that. Way beyond the legal. You, you will virtually go to any length to see your child thrive. Isn't that Right? And we see these covenant relationships woven throughout the Bible. Some are between individuals that make covenants. Some are between countries, nations, and they, they, they make a covenant with each other. It's a peace treaty. And the most important covenants that we find in the Bible are between God and people. So today's uh, message is part of a series uh, uh, called Discover Together, Big Ideas of the Bible. And so I would invite you, come back the next two Sundays. We're going to be talking about another uh, different thing each Sunday, a different big idea of the Bible. Uh, Today we're talking about covenants, and so to get a good solid base of understanding for that, we're going to watch a video, a five-minute video, about covenants. Let's watch. Okay, so that's our introduction to covenants. You know, I think in our culture, we're not really used to this whole thought about covenants. It's hard for us to really grasp what they are. Most people, I find, even approach marriage from a consumer point of view. You know, kind of like, eh, I'm not getting what I wanted. I'm out of here. But, but the marriage vows point to a Covenant. I'm going to I'm going to love you and cherish you for better or worse rich or poor and sickness and health until we are parted by death. Now there there can be threats to those vows and 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 we know that happened. but but really our 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 intent is to is to be unconditional in our in our relationship with that person. Now th- These these promises that we make in in marriage, they are like the terms of the covenant. And in in a traditional covenant, there are blessings for keeping the covenant. And there are consequences, the Bible calls them curses, when we violate the covenant. Tim Keller says on every page of the Bible, in some form or other, you can find God saying... Uh, I cannot bless a disobedient people. I've never really tried reading through it and to see if it's in on every page, but, but, I, but I think that's what we can say. It's a fair to say it's a strong theme that, that God says over and over, I cannot bless a disobedient people. Uh, but you'll also find on every page, God saying, I will be faithful and never give up, give up on you. I will bless you no matter what. And Keller says, so which is it? Are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? If we say they're unconditional, well then, hey, folks, it doesn't really matter how we live, what you believe. I mean, sin isn't really a big deal because God's just going to, you know, wink at you and say, kids will be kids, you know. And he'll bless you anyway. And if you say that God's blessings are conditional, then the only way to get God's blessings is to, we've got to live really highly godly moral lives. And, And those are the people that God blesses, not the rest of us. Most of us, Keller says, tend to fall one way or the other. And I would add, the same is true, true for churches. We tend to fall one way or the other. One church says, uh, you know, God is pleased with you. Hey, don't worry about it. We all live unfaithfully, and it doesn't matter how you live anyway, because God's just going to bless you. And another church says, you know, God sets the bar really high, and only the most upright and virtuous people who are the ones who can really please God and receive his, his blessings. But the Bible says both. Strangely enough, God says, I cannot bless a disobedient people who keep breaking my covenant. And God says, I will be true to my part of the covenant and I will bless you unconditionally. And there lies the tension the tension that is woven throughout all Scripture. So, how does God deal with that tension? Let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah 31, starting with verse 31. Uh, if you're looking, you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 789. starts there. And by the way, we always like to say, if you wish you had a Bible of your own at home to read, uh, we can help you out with that. Just take the Pew Bible home with you. You don't have to ask permission. Just take it. It's yours. And if you're looking for a place to start reading, Uh, I would probably not recommend Jeremiah as the beginning place. I would say, hey, my favorite of the biographies about Jesus is the one written by Luke. So I would say, try that. Try try reading Luke. Um, Anyway, back to the prophet Jeremiah. His country Judah is being tossed back and forth by two superpowers, Egypt on one side, Babylon on the other. And and Jeremiah tells his people Don't put your trust in these foreign kings. Trust the Lord. But their hearts are stubborn. And eventually, God allows them to experience the curses that come with continually breaking the covenant. And what happens? They're exiled to Babylon. But Jeremiah says that judgment is not the last word. Jeremiah says, God has plans for you. God has a hopeful future for you. God will make a new covenant with you. Follow along with me on verse 31, will you? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So, a new covenant, great. What's going to make this new covenant better than previous covenants? Well, that's what we find on verse 33. If you're in the pew Bible, flip over to the next page. It says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will, what? Say the rest with me. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people You know, when God says, I will be their God and they will be my people, this is is very intimate language, isn't it? Because the word my, when you use that about another person, that's, that's the language of family, my husband, my wife. It's the language of parents and children, my dad, my daughter. What makes this covenant unique is that the terms of the covenant are not coerced right they're not coerced from the outside they're not forced upon you they are motivated from the inside so here's the big idea for today I hope you'll you'll write this down on the back of your bulletin there's a place there for taking notes and you can take it home and talk to your family about it or, or talk to your faith group here it is by bearing my curse Jesus creates a new covenant that inspires me to trust and obey Him. Hmm. Think about that. Let's lay, let's say it together, shall we? By bearing my curse, Jesus creates a new covenant. That inspires me to trust and obey Him. When I say by bearing my curse, I'm not saying I'm not bearing it. He's bearing it. When he, bear, when he bears my curse, He creates a new covenant. And that's what inspires me to trust and obey Him. So how does that happen? Well, I thought it would be great to, to jump back to one of the other covenants to really get a picture of what of what that is so we're gonna go back to uh, God's covenant with Abraham we're not gonna look it up now but you can go home and read it later in Genesis chapter 15 uh, God reaffirms to Abraham that hey Abraham your your descendants are gonna become a great nation and and all of the land of Canaan is gonna belong to them and Abraham says how do I know this is really gonna happen right And so God tells Abraham to set up an official covenant ceremony. The the, the kind they used to have. So God tells Abraham to slaughter a heifer, a goat, and a ram. And then Abraham cuts the the bodies of these animals straight in half down the spine. Okay, and he he leaves half to his left and the other half to his right. With a pathway split between these carcasses. And then as God directs, he also slaughters a, a dove and a pigeon, but he doesn't have to split those in half. One on each side is good. And of course, this seems totally weird and grosses us out, and, 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 but it doesn't to Abraham. I mean, this is just normal things. When you, when you enter into an official binding covenant, this is part of the ceremony. Uh, it's how treaties were enacted. It's how a tenant farmer promised to faithfully serve the landowner. And if you're that tenant farmer, when you walk that path between those carcasses, you're promising loyalty to that landowner. You're calling a curse upon yourself if you fail to abide by the terms of the covenant. You know, by walking that path down between those carcasses, you're saying, may the same be done to me if I violate the covenant. Serious stuff, right? But an interesting thing happens. After Abraham sets up the covenant ceremony, all the, the, the animals that are laid out there, the sun sets, Abraham falls into a deep sleep. A thick darkness covers her over, over him and God speaks to him and says that despite all the detours that his descendants will take, God will bring them back. God will keep his promise. And then he sees a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appear. And smoke and fire represent the presence of God, just as we see later in the Bible where uh, God leads the people of Israel by a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. So Abraham sees the, f- the smoke and the fire pass through the path between the carcasses and by that God is saying may this be done to me if I do not keep my promise and I'm sure it, this just blows Abraham's mind thinking you know what's going on here you know I, I'm the lesser partner I'm the one who's supposed to be walking down the path Why is is God doing it? But you see, God flips it. God walks the path. Uh, Genesis 15 literally says, God cut a covenant with Abraham. In our translation it says, make a covenant. But in the Hebrew, it's literally, God cut a covenant with Abraham. And in the new new covenant, Jesus takes the consequences of our covenant-breaking. He says, let it be done to me. Now, Jesus' body, as we know, is not literally split in two, but his back is lashed with whips. His head is punctured with thorns. His hands and feet are nailed to a cross. His side is pierced with a spear. And like in the scene with Abraham, darkness falls upon the land As Jesus hangs upon the cross. By bearing our curse. He demonstrates the terrible cost of our disobedience. And yet. He loves us unconditionally. And when that happens. It changes the whole equation. It changes the whole story. And it changes us. By bearing my curse. Jesus creates a new covenant that leads me to trust and obey him. Jesus took my curse. That's why I trust him. That's why I obey him. That's why I want to resist sin. That's why I want to be faithful to him. It's not something that's pushed on to me from the outside. It's something coming from within, and when I do sin, I know he's going to keep loving me. And so instead of drowning and punishing myself with self-condemnation, I just simply start over. Because I know I am loved that much. That's the new covenant. God says, I will, I will put my law in their minds. And I will write it on their hearts. I'd like to end with a parable that um, is inspired by one of Jesus' parables. A king decides to settle accounts with a servant who owes him an astronomical amount of money. To make it worse, the, the royal accountants discover that this servant has been embezzling for years and now owes a thousand bags of gold. Well, since he doesn't have the ability to repay, it's customary for the servant to be sold into slavery to, you know, cover at least a portion of his debt. But the servant falls on his knees before the king and begs his, his uh, forgiveness, you know, begging for more time. Give me just a little more time. The king knows, well, <laughs> if the servant lived a hundred lifetimes, he could never repay a debt like this. So the king does what no one expects. The king opens his personal vault where is stored his family inheritance, 1,000 bags of gold, and he turns it over to the royal treasurers and pays the debt incurred by the servant. And the servant. Is speechless. What has just happened? He's overwhelmed by the, by the king's sacrifice. And immediately, something changes. The equation in his heart changes. You know, before he would have been the kind of guy who, you know, if you see a, a, a co worker who owes you, you know, a few coins, you take him to court, get your money back. But now when he sees a a fellow servant who owes him a few coins, he forgives the debt, saying, don't worry about it. Blessings to you. And this servant becomes the king's most trustworthy assistant, the most trustworthy individual in his entire court because something has changed within him. The desire to please the king is now written on his heart. And so I would just ask you, are, are God's, is God's will for you, God's desire for you, his commandments for you, are they feel like something that's being forced on you from the outside, being pushed on you? Or are they something that is growing from the inside out of a gratitude out of a, out of a, a wonderful sense of, of thankfulness and grace for what God has done for you? Do you find that you have growing within you a desire to please Him, a desire to follow Him, a desire to, to trust and obey Him? Not saying we do it perfectly, but we realize that not only when we, when we mess up, it breaks our hearts too. Because we know that's not who we want to be. We want to be that person that God thought was so worth so, so much value that Jesus said, let it happen to me. Let me bear the curse for this one. And so I would just say to you today, if you say, I, you know, I think I've always thought of this something coming from the outside and being forced upon me. Let today be the day when you say, okay, Jesus, I recognize what you have done for me. You have borne the curse of my disobedience and my breaking this covenant. Thank you. I'm speechless. I'm, I don't know what to say in the face of that much goodness, that much generosity. But here's my life. I am yours let me live your will let me live your way let your righteousness be put in my mind and written on my heart let's pray Oh Lord God what a wonderful thing that you are a God of great and many promises And this promise that you began with Abraham and has continued today. And Jesus, you have come to fulfill that that great promise. You have come to, to create this new covenant. And Lord, we know it's not just a deal. It's not just a contract. But you are devoted to us. You are invested in us. Even to the point of it costing you your life. And so, Lord, we thank you. We want to belong to you and live for you every day. Not out of coercion, but out of gratitude. And all God's people said, amen.